a listener production. This is From Zero, where I get the real stories behind some of Australia's best business successes. I'm Adam Schwab, co-founder of LuxuryEscapes.com, financial journalist, author and angel investor. With my best mate from school, we co-founded Luxury Escapes, and the business has grown to turn over almost half a billion dollars annually without raising a dollar of outside capital. People ask me all the time, how do we start the business? And now I want to turn the tables. In this episode, I speak with Marcus Tan from Health Engine. The same week, you know, I was at an award ceremony accepting the award for, you know, being the West Australian Technology Company of the Year was the same week that we were in press, you know, national press, you know, with a headline that, um, you know, was very negative, effectively saying that we had tampered with, you know, and doctored all of our um, uh, ratings and reviews on our website. If you're listening to this and you're older than 25, you remember what life was like before you could do everything on your smartphone, like ordering takeaway food over the phone from a paper menu or arranging a holiday using brochures you've gotten from a travel agent, or trying to book a doctor's appointment. You had to call the receptionist, wait on hold, and then try to find an available time in the doctor's very busy schedule. Now you can do all that stuff with a few swipes on your smartphone. And the person in Australia you can thank for all that is Marcus Tan. Marcus was born in Malaysia in the 1970s. When he was a kid, his dad was offered a job as a principal engineer on a mine site in WA. So the young family packed up, left Malaysia and settled in Perth, where Marcus still lives to this day. In the late 2000s, Marcus founded Health Engine with his business partner, Adam Yap. Together, they've grown the business into the largest health booking site in the country. There are more than 120,000 listings on Health Engine, and since 2009, it's helped more than 7 million Australians create more than 30 million online bookings. But years before he created Health Engine, Marcus actually studied to be a doctor. You got into medicine straight after school. Was that was that something that surprised you, or, or how, how did that how did that play out? Oh, look, it, it probably wasn't a huge surprise. Not so much in the sense that you know I thought I was going to do really really well in school. I think it was more just that the fact that we migrated to Australia. And one of the big reasons, not so much just because you know my my dad had been headhunted into this particular role, um, but one of the big things about being born in Malaysia and being Chinese in Malaysia is that the educational opportunities aren't exactly the same. Like it's not entirely equal. I think it was really impressed on me very, very early on that education is really, really important and part of the reason for the migration, because in some ways my family would have been better off staying in Malaysia um, in terms of economic opportunities and other things. But, you know, my parents made a decision to move largely because there was an opportunity to come here, but also because of the educational opportunities that would arise from moving from Malaysia. So, you know, in that sense, the, the whole idea that education was important and something that was really, really strongly encouraged to hunker down and, and focus on was actually really, you know, sort of bred into us very, very early. So when I, when, I, when, I, when I ended up, you know, sort of being seen as maybe there's some potential here, maybe you can get into this, you should be striving for it. You know, like the, these sorts of professions were always on the cards. Now, it wasn't necessarily that I wanted to do medicine, but it was something that, um, you know, was an option for sure if we were, you know, if, so long as we made the grade right. Right. So, so you're at medical school now. This is obviously a couple of years later and you must have done all right again. And you choose your, I think you choose a residency or choose a specialization and you end up going into to general practice. Uh, what, what was the sort of driver behind that? Was it, was it a easy call? Was, were you sort of tossing up between different types of, of 
specialisations? Yeah, no, look, I mean, I think for me, I started to realise pretty early on that um, hospital work wasn't necessarily for me. I, I think the thing that I really enjoyed about medicine um, as I was, you know, going into it, and, I, you know, after, as a med student, you still only have a sort of sense of it, you don't really, really know. But certainly in the couple, first couple of years in, in the hospital sector, the thing that I really enjoyed was actually developing the relationships with patients. There's an aspect of um, emergency medicine, which is, you know, in the hospital emergency departments, which also was interesting around the sort of diversity of stuff that would come through. And that, that was quite interesting. Um, and, and I think in, in that sense, that, that allowed us to, you know, or at least it allowed me to shape my sort of thinking around from a what would I want to do in the future Things that had a little bit of breadth, like was interesting, so you know, kept it um, the variety, kept it interesting for me, and then the ability to maintain a relationship with people, um, you know, which wasn't just a one hit, like you know, like um, thanks, you know, I've solved your problem, see you later, which tended to be the situation in hospitals, you know, like you never really tended to see patients again. That's the sort of thing that drove me more into general practice, and and I, I suppose just like with a lot of um, people, you know, when you start having an experience, and, and medicine is one of these sort of mentor apprentice type of professions. When you have an experience of certain people in certain you know places, um, you sort of go, oh yeah, that, those guys inspire me, and I want to do that. And I had quite a few of these sorts of mentors in general practice early on, so I thought, look, I really want to be a general practitioner. So that's that's how I kind of ended up there. And did you start your own practice, or you worked with a bigger practice? How, how did you go about that? Well, well, you know, I mean, when you do your general practice training, then you know, there's generally you just join a practice, and you know, you sort of join the training program, and, and that's um, you know how it tends to um, to start. Um, and then, you, of course, you know, you sort of build relationships and at some point they, you know, may ask you to sort of uh, stay on, you know, once you're fully qualified and so on. Most general practitioners kind of, despite their working arrangements, they're basically their own sort of, um, you know, like their own business, if you like. So, you know, yep. we might we might work as part of a group, but they provide the administrative services and some of the facilities and stuff like that, whereas the patient relationship is directly with you. And in fact, technically, the billing relationships with you is just that, you know, like um, you just share facilities, you know. So in essence, you have your own business. It's largely sort of, um, you know, sort of sheltered by the the administrative function that will do all your billing, do your reporting, all that sort of stuff. So sometimes you don't have to think as much about your business, but actually, technically, that relationship is with, with the patient directly. Um, so, so yeah, look, I, I joined um, a smaller practice when I um, finished training, um, and uh, I really enjoyed that sort of smaller, you know, um, feel to it. Uh, and then when it got bought out by a corporate, um, you know, I didn't really enjoy that nearly as much. And so, in, you know, in, in, in some ways um, that drove me to sort of looking a little bit further afield and, and try, trying different things. So what were you, when you say trying different things, what, what, what kind of things? Well, well, you know, I think um, interestingly, my um, general practice career sort of, you know, sort of um, deviated somewhat into um, skin cancer. So what ended up happening, this was around the early 2000s, I got involved with um, one of the earlier skin cancer clinic groups, you know, so back in the day, there wasn't a dedicated um, skin cancer clinic type of arrangement, mostly it was GPs or dermatologists who were doing the skin checks. And so, you know, um, the, one of the pioneers of skin cancer medicine you know, started these clinics that were standalone, pretty much populated or, you know, manned by GPs with a special interest in skin cancer and using technology, you know, sort of, um, it's pretty standard technology now, but back in the day, you know, using technology to actually scan or, or, you know, sort of check the skin to magnify it up and, you know, be able to get a better diagnosis. That was pretty innovative at the time. And so sort of joining that as a sort of stopgap because I was kind of looking around for another practice um, to join in, in general practice, that kind of sort of pushed me into that direction and then I, I actually loved it so much because I actually enjoyed the surgical aspects of it as well, not just the skin checks, but being able to, you know, sort of cut out skin cancers and doing sort of, you know, flaps and grafts and, you know, sort of the more technical sort of things. That really helped me sort of, you know, think, oh, geez, you know, I, I want to spend a little bit of time in this. 
And um, funnily, you know, that sort of started a whole trend of things, or you know, probably serendipitously actually, that I that I probably wouldn't have planned for, but you know, sort of triggered something. For sure. Where we ended up was as these guys were spreading this whole skin cancer clinic type of concept around the country. They ended up um, they were headquartered in Queensland, and they wanted to start up in WA. And so I was actually the first doctor that you know, full time doctor that they hired here in WA, and they needed somebody to expand their clinic base. So they were hiring a medical director and I had no idea what medical directors did. I had no idea like, you know, that much about business or anything like that. So at that point they said, look, you know, given that you're the first doctor and you seem to be open to this idea, we'll train you up. We'll, we'll you know, we'll help you recruit other doctors. We'll help you train other doctors. We'll help you set up clinics. And, you know, and, and so I started sort of in that process of learning the business of medicine, right? Like, you know, not just the clinical aspects of it, but actually the, the, the actual process of setting up clinics and, and, and um, hiring doctors. And, and, and that really set up a foundation for me to actually, um, you know, sort of get more involved in the, the business space. And it triggered me to say do an MBA, for instance, I did my executive MBA sort of through that time because it sort of made me feel like, well, look, you know, this is interesting, but I want to kind of fill in the gaps of what I don't know, I don't know, rather than just reading books and talking to people and, you know, just having something more formal. And so, you know, and, and that sort of then led on to other opportunities as well. By 2006, Marcus had a young family and was operating a network of skin cancer clinics. And just when things couldn't get any busier, he got the idea for Health Engine. How did Health Engine, certainly in its initial form, how did that come about? What, what's the sort of genesis? Where did you get the idea from? And what made you start, start with the business? So around about 2006, um, whilst I was sitting at my desk looking at, you know, seeing patients at my skin cancer clinic, you know, I just had this experience of, you know, pulling out my desk drawer, open, you know, grabbing a paper-based directory to find a specialist to refer, you know, a plastic surgeon particularly to try and refer a patient to, to get a, a big operation. And it was at that moment I thought to myself, geez, you know, like this is the age of the internet. As I said, it's 2006, age of the internet, early internet. And like, why is this directory not on the internet, right? Why am I pulling this out, like you know, out of my desk drawer? Because honestly, most paper, most things on paper, particularly directories, pretty much go out of date the minute they're printed. So you know, this makes sense for it to be online. So really, the, the whole idea of health agent was really just to solve my own problem. It wasn't really to make money or to any of that sort of stuff. It was really kind of going, look, you know, wouldn't it be great? This was basically the thing in my head. And um, yeah, again, it was serendipity that actually allowed me to sort of you know put two and two together to say, hey, actually, I can do this because because not being technical, you know, I, I didn't really know how to do it. It was more just a it ought to be done. And um, quite coincidentally, around that time, I was talking to another friend of mine who was a GP, and um, he was um, sort of had a bit of a diverse career as well. He he wanted to get into the performing arts. Um, in acting and that sort of thing and was kind of using GP as a backstop, you know, instead of bussing tables to, you know, to sort of, um, you know, fill his income whilst he was um, trying to get gigs. And um, we were just talking and, and, you know, interestingly, I I mentioned to him this idea of a directory and he said, oh, look, I've actually got this actor's directory that I just put up online and um, so I, I can probably help you with that. And, and really kind of, it was just kind of snowballed from there. It was sort of the opportunity to, um, to work with somebody who was a friend and, you know, like, uh, so it was literally just a side hustle that we weren't expecting to go anywhere, but, you know, wanted to give it a go. So, so, so that, that, that was that. Um, and that went for about two years. So it wasn't even like, um, it went for particularly long and we just found it was really, really hard. And that directory actually got closed down. So after two years, we said, "Look, this is not sustainable. It's actually too hard. You know, we're not you know able to uh, to find a commercial model for it. And so let's uh, let's just uh, call it quits and, and walk away." And uh, funnily enough, that year that obviously it started two thousand six, 
sort of ended around 2008, that year was obviously the, the beginning of the global financial crisis, you know, and I was in the markets, you know, trading um, shares and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, like that really made me rethink exactly what it was that I wanted to do um, because, you know, everything was going to hell and it was, um, it was uh, yeah, it, it sort of catalyzed, a, a, um, you know, sort of the, the next step in, in that sort of health engine journey, which was that we, I got introduced to a bunch of doctors who, um, in this is a year later, sort of still within sort of this, the global financial crisis, but I got introduced to, to a bunch of doctors who were running an online directory. And having been invested in things like stocks and blue chips and these other things and seeing how the global financial markets were very easily swayed and, you know, and, and impacted and I had no ability to impact it whatsoever, I kind of changed my way of thinking around things like personal investing. And so you start, rather than sort of effectively gambling on the stock market, you know, it, it occurred to me that from an investing perspective, it's really useful to be able to, um, to work with something that A, you understand um, that that really helps. So you know, like investing in mining and all well, that's great. Except I know nothing about mining. You know, so stick to your knitting around what you actually understand and stick to stuff that you can actually potentially help make you know move the needle and make an impact rather than it just you know sort of going up or going down and you have no particular ability to impact it. And so I went into kind of an angel investing type of mode where you know particularly to healthcare and healthcare startups. Um, largely because I had this experience with the online stuff, so I had developed a little bit of interest in the tech side of things. I'd done some investing and I f- and I'd done some management consulting in the healthcare space, so I kind of understood domain. I kind of understood the the investing bit and the finance bit, and I kind of understood the um, the a little bit of the technical aspects of it. I was kind of known as now the healthcare angel investor, sort of in Perth. And so I got introduced to these doctors who were running an online directory, and they'd started around the same time that I started our online directory, and managed to make it go for three years. And at the point where you know they'd uh, they'd been introduced to me, I had to actually um, discuss. You know, they discovered that it was actually not sustainable for them to continue going on with it, and they were actually looking to shut it down. And so, in essence, I looked at it and said, "Look, you managed to get a little bit further than where we managed to get with my original project. I've learned a few things. I think I can do something with it." I'm happy to put some money into it, bring a new team to it, take it off your hands, and you guys can keep silent stakes in, in it and so on. Um, and so basically acquired that, um, you know, that directory. And that directory was actually called Health Engine. And how many, uh, the directory itself, how big was the directory at the time that you, that you bought it? Oh, look, it was pretty small. I mean, like, you know, from memory, it was something like 18,000 unique visitors a month, um, you know, like um, coming to the site. Um, and, um, you know, in 2009, um, that was, so, you know, so it wasn't a huge number. How many doctors were on, how many many listings did you have at the time? Oh, it was actually really hard to know. I mean, that was half the problem. You know, the listings were a little bit all over the place, but, um, not, not that many. Um, it's as a directory, there's a difference between having a listing as in, you know, just the content versus people actually claiming the listing, actually paying you as, as customers. Sure. So, so the, the problem was as directory, it was a good directory, had a lot of listings, you know, in terms of content, but it didn't have a lot of people signed up to it. So, you know, so that was, well, that was the problem is that, yes, these guys were, you know, very well-paid emergency doctors coming home at night doing data entry, you yeah, know, sure. and like, you know, and going like, and nobody's actually helping us, you know, like it's, it's quite hard to up, upkeep directories, right, because the, the, the information is quite dynamic. And so, you know, like the, the, the overhead of actually keeping this directory going when nobody was actually paying you to be on that directory was actually quite tough. And so that was, that was part of the reason why they were looking to get rid of it um, or, you know, step away from it. So in, in, in that essence, the actual numbers of customers was actually very low. So was your plan to charge the doctors at the time? Is that 
is that how obviously when you bought the business you had a some sort of idea how, how you can make it profitable and was the aim to, to get doctors to pay you to be listed on the site yeah so so i mean just like most directories actually like you know whether it was the yellow pages at the time um you know or uh, you know like a lot of directories the classified sort of businesses um relied a lot on on people claiming their profile and, you know, and at some point uh, and paying a sort of a monthly fee for, their, for, for being listed in the directory and having, say, maybe a few more details and be able to show a bit higher, you know, these sorts of concepts that are very, very normal business models in, in directories and classifieds. That was exactly the way that we were looking to monetize it as well. Um, and, um, you know, we, we sort of figured that, um, you know, that, that would be a good model because there's lots of doctors, there's lots of people needing to sort of, you know, to um, show up and, and, and attract patients. What we didn't potentially understand at that stage was that, um, you know, it was, that, it was just that time in the cycle where the demand and supply of doctors was very much in, in favour of, of doctors in, in, in the sense that there was a shortage of doctors and, you know, you only had to hang out your shingle and you would get referrals or you'd get, like, people come through the door. So they didn't really need marketing, which is what a directory sure. more or less is. So, the, so that sure. was where the floor and the timing was for the business model. Great. So you've you've got your directory started, uh, and how are you funding the business? Was it all your savings, or uh, had you got some external funding? What what was what was driving? What was what were you going to use to drive the growth of this business? Yeah. So so actually, it was all um, yeah. Basically, I was funding the business through a combination of sweat equity. Um, you know, me just putting in lots of hours, um, and um, and yeah, my own savings. Um, my um, team that I brought in also were you know sort of um, offered a certain amount of equity to actually. Um, help on a much reduced sort of salary, if you like. So, so that um, you know helped with some of the cash flow aspects of it as well. So it was kind of they had some skin in the game too. So, so yeah, it was it was a few of those sorts of things that uh, helped the business stay afloat in the early days. How big was the team? The first two years in, three years in, it obviously wasn't just you because, as you said, there's a lot of work in in these these kind of businesses. How, how big was the team getting at that point? Oh look, I mean, we we took as I said, we sort of took over and um, started again in two thousand late two thousand nine. Um, and, um, you know, what I needed was a couple of developers, really. I mean, that was um, the, the, the primary thing was just to basically um, make sure that the site could stay up and, you know, could be changed and, you know, and improved. Um, so basically, it was a couple of developers in my lounge room, obviously trying to save costs so we didn't have offices and stuff like that. Um, and, and really, the team didn't get much bigger. I think at, at the point where my wife started to get sick of, like, people in our, in our house, in our lounge room, um, yeah. you know, which is, you know, three, four people, like, you know, they decided that, like, um, yeah, we should find something a little bit more um, professional, I guess, uh, as an environment. And so, you know, that, that's when we moved out and, and um, we ended up subleasing with a, uh, a bunch of friends of ours who uh, had a sort of uh, digital agency building websites and stuff like that. So we subleased off of them and uh, um, slowly started growing the team, you know, started bringing on salespeople, started bringing on, you know, sort of more admin sort of people to do billing and stuff like that. Around about 2010, um, so not that long after we sort of acquired the, uh, the old health engine directory, I was contacted completely out of the blue by um, my current co-founder Adam Yap. So he he's you know he, he's just come out of a digital health startup himself, like a consumer health startup himself in Perth, and I, I didn't know him literally from Adam, like you know, um, and um, and he pings me on LinkedIn, and he basically you know had typed in the words Perth Angel Investing Healthcare into LinkedIn, and my name came up. Right, because that was what he was. What he was, he was interested in just you know, sort of um, talking to someone around investing in healthcare startups. Now, he he pinged me, and 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 the words were, "I don't normally reach out to people cold like this, but if you don't mind, I was wondering if we could catch up for a coffee." And that was it. <laughs> but you know, I'm interested in talking about healthcare yeah. investing. 
um, he didn't have a clue of, about this online directory thing. And, you know, and I could easily have just said, ah, oh, look, sorry, I'm too busy doing this other thing, like, you know, and just declined the meeting. But I took the meeting anyway. And, you know, I mean, again, serendipity seems to play a lot of these, you know, things, um, but you still need to be open to the opportunity. We, um, we caught up and we started talking. And, and when I started explaining to him, you know, what we were doing on the healthcare directory side, and, and to his credit, he basically said, look, you know, I'm really interested in sort of finding out what I can do in this space um, and maybe sort of, you know, um, what I'll do is I'll come in and effectively consult for free. I'll come in and just observe what's going on. I can see the, you know, see whether there's really a lot of upside here that I can add. And um, if, you know, if I like what I see, um, would you be open to me sort of in putting money in, like investing, buying shares and joining the business, you know, and be a co-founder, right? So, Basically, um, he he would, uh, he'd be the person I would credit the most for getting the traffic from, you know, at the time, um, you know, from when we acquired it, we got maybe to about 18,000 um, unique visitors to about 30,000. And then we, by the time we met him, he'd started to increase it to, you know, hundreds of thousands, you know, of, of people a month coming to the site just because of his, you know, consumer internet sort of background. Um, and so the director was actually getting quite a lot of usage. I mean, the, the traffic was actually, we, we were probably already at that stage, one of the largest consumer, um, you know, sort of directories in, in, in healthcare even then. But as I said, you know, one of the problems is that you can get a lot of traffic, but if people aren't willing to pay on the, on the supply side, on the, on the doctoring side, the customer side, then you still don't have a successful business model because you've got traction, but no, but no revenue. By 2011, Health Engine was running out of money. Marcus and Adam had been bankrolling the business out of their own savings, but they either had to fund it differently or shut the business down. Around this time, they were approached by two of Australia's biggest media businesses, Seven West Media and Telstra Ventures. While the two big companies didn't end up investing, through the process, Marcus was introduced to Peter Larson and his son, Andrew. The Larsons backed the nascent health engine, and Andrew even helped out in the business, running consumer marketing. But while getting some cash in the door would help the business in the short term, it needed to come up with a more sustainable revenue stream if it was ever going to seriously grow. So a few, so fast forward a few years, and you do a, a what it seems to be a fairly significant pivot, and you realise that being a directory maybe wasn't the way forward. You could actually change the business to become a bit like an open table for doctors, so allowing people to, to book. What gave you that? What 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 inspired that very significant change in, in sort of how you were going to create revenue? Yeah, that's. I mean, it's a. It's a. I remember it very distinctly, and, and you know, I can't underestimate. You know, I can't un, under uh, or underemphasize the the role that serendipity plays in a lot of like you know next moves. But I end up reading an article out of TechCrunch, which is one of these large Silicon Valley um, you know sort of technology um, blogs or websites. And, um, you know, they just announced um, a deal where a company called ZocDoc had raised a significant amount of money off of a huge valuation, like something like a $750 million valuation that allowed this company to actually do online bookings in healthcare, basically create a marketplace in healthcare, you know, like the sort of um, TripAdvisor or, you know, um, sort of uh, Expedia of healthcare. Um, and, and I thought, oh, that's kind of interesting. Like, you know, that's, um, uh, you know, we've got a... A beginnings of a marketplace, I guess, with the directory, um, maybe online bookings might be, you know, sort of a way to sort of turn our fortunes around, right? So we kind of explored that idea. And I, I remember actually, stand, you know, um, on a weekend, I'm um, talking to um, Adam, my co-founder, um, you know, we were playing badminton game at the time. And, um, and, I, and I shared this with him and he goes, yeah, actually, I think we could do this actually. And, you know, and it's nothing, nothing to lose. Maybe we give this a go. Because frankly, we would have otherwise had to kill the business because um, you know it was it was that dire at that stage. 
and, and it's kind of interesting actually because, you know, we, when I went into it, like a lot of it was trying to, you know, th- there is this concept in healthcare that is a big problem that is the healthcare navigation aspect of healthcare where, you know, finding the right care, the right place at the right time is a really important thing, obviously, for patients to be able to get a good outcome and, you know, and, um, and, uh, and a good experience of it. Um, but at that stage, there wasn't, you know, a really good way of finding the right care, the right place at the right time. Now, the directory fulfilled a bit of the finding the right care, the right place aspect of it. But there wasn't this right time aspect, and in healthcare, as you you know, as most most people would know, like you know, the availability and the time sensitivity of certain conditions, it's really important to get it at the right time. But how do we find the right time? And so, the idea of being able to surface up times on our directory was a really interesting idea. And and obviously, online bookings requires kind of the need to be able to see times. And so, we looked around for people who could provide the tech to actually surface up the times on our directory. And we couldn't find anybody who was doing it at the time. So we basically set out with our engineering team to actually create the first online booking system really for uh, particularly GPs, which is my background, like, you know, to uh, surface up time. And, um, and so, you know, so the story goes on from there, right? So just thinking about building that, building that product out. So you guys were the customer facing booking engine in a sense, but presumably you needed to know from every single doctor or dentist or whoever you're working with, if they're free or not, because there's no point having a booking engine which doesn't have the correct data behind it. So I guess you, you then had to somehow integrate with every one of these practices individually. Uh, how did you? How did you go about? To, so that presumably is a is a sales pitch to each each practice. Yeah, ab- absolutely. So as I said, you know, we we started off in general practice um, largely because you know a, a it was my background, but also because you know we knew that general practice being kind of the mainstay and the the sort of core of the healthcare system in Australia, that was where a lot of the volume and the interest and the traffic was going to come from. And and, and so, you know, that's what, why we started there. And, and I guess it's kind of using your natural advantages. I mean, you know, part of the, part of the um, way of starting this off was to say, hey, look, yeah, we're going to try and get this ability to publish times on this directory. And um, it's a bit of a wacky idea. So, you know, I'm going to have to try and my mates probably to try it and help me out here. So basically I sat in the waiting rooms of quite a few different practices of my friends who are, who are GPs and sort of, I mean, I, I'd hate to say begging is the right word, but like, you know, it was kind of that way. Um, you know, look, give it a go because you know, I know it's a bit of a wacky idea to try and publish times and having patients basically self-serve times. It's never been done before, but you know, give me a chance. And, and I think, you know, that, that was, um, that was kind of helpful that, you know, we, we'd had enough trust that we'd had a few people who say, yeah, sure. No problem. What was the take up like? So how, how quickly did you get a hundred, hundred practices on the site? That took quite a while. So, so actually what we, what we wanted to do, because like, like most marketplaces or directories, the idea was, is that, you know, yes, you can drive a lot of traffic, but if you haven't got a lot of choice, then, you know, you, you, you know, in, in marketplace parlance, if you don't have a lot of supply side liquidity, then you don't tend to be able to fulfill a lot of orders, if you like. Okay, so you know, like the fact that we had a lot of demand, a lot of people coming to the directory. If there wasn't a lot of people on the on that directory actually offering times, then you don't you don't see, you don't get enough in matching, right? Um, so so we sort of figured that look, you know, what we need to do is we need to get to at least twenty practices, and we basically said, look, you know, like around Perth, can we get a little bit of geographic distribution so that we had about twenty practices? And so when we started the whole project, this was kind of you know mid to mid to late two thousand and eleven. You know, we, it was really just building up a very manual process of literally practices, downloading a little sort of sidebar, 
um, on their um, desktop computer and publishing like times, specific times that might have been might, might have been available for booking. And then you know the the patient when they booked would actually then get this you know they'd, they'd get this flashing red box to say hey ex patient booked now put it in you know type you know double type you know, d- double entry type into your um, schedule right. So it, there was no integration as such. It was really just a very simple manual process that we put in place. And, and there was a good reason for that. It's because basically we didn't want to build this huge, like, you know, integrated process. It would have taken years to do and find that nobody was actually willing to do it. Now, the minute we actually put it onto the site, literally we started to see people booking. And I think that it was largely because, A, we didn't actually make a brand promise around, hey, look, you can find and book doctors on this. It was just still the directory. And my sense is that a lot of the patients who would come or the users would come would actually go, oh, what are these times? And go, wow, like, can you book healthcare appointments on this thing? Oh, well, I'll give it a go. Very skeptically, I suspect, like, you know, whether you can actually do this. Because, again, this, nobody had really done this before. We had feedback that people would actually book it, then actually call the practice up and go, did you actually get this appointment? <laughs> like, you know, is this just a scam? Right? Like, you know, and then when they go, yeah, yeah, no, you, we, we got it. And then they show up, like the practice would then go, oh, this thing actually works. Like, you know, it actually closed the loop, which was actually the thing that allowed us to get to, you know, more and more practices because we were starting to demonstrate this loop and we were starting to build case studies and so on. But yeah, but, you know, we, we launched the service and uh, very clear. I, I remember the day actually, it was, it was Valentine's Day. So Feb 14. 2012, we launched it more publicly. You know, I was on radio doing some, you know, sort of press and all that sort of stuff. And um, yeah, we had around 20 practices um, around Perth, um, and then it just started to snowball and snowball from there because as people started to see that this was a way of just getting new patients. And and in some ways, you know, again, timing is everything, right? So it went from a timing of look, too many doc, um, not enough doctors, too many, you know, a lot of patients, no need for marketing. And it's you know, we we were actually in that cycle where we started training a lot of GPs, like you know, to try and fill the gap. And so now, like, we were actually now starting to move more the other way. So starting to see more and more doctors come up, there's a need for more patients. Now there's a need for marketing. And this ability to, you know, from a marketing perspective, to be able to attribute not just a directory listing and I don't know where I got my phone call from. I might have Googled you. I might have, like, who knows you know, where you came from. And I won't remember which directory I, I came to. I just, I just picked up the phone. That's much, much harder to attribute. Whereas with the online booking system, the attribution was very clear. Like, you know, I know exactly where I got my patient from. It was from Health Engine because they booked on Health Engine, right? So that's the, you know, I think that, that's the thing that absolutely revolutionized our business, the, um, you know, the uh, ability to attribute at the, uh, the, the sort of, um, you know, marketplace type of model rather than the directory model. So you've got 20 plus partners, partner uh, practices on board. And what was the revenue model? Were you charging a SaaS fee? Were you charging a per booking fee? And what kind of revenue were you guys six months in? Were you, were you guys starting to generate? Oh, uh, look, it was still pretty modest, right? I mean, like, you know, I mean, yeah, sure, we went from, like, you know, 10 bookings a day to 100 bookings a day to 1,000 bookings. You know, like, these, these were very, very quickly exponential numbers. I mean, we went from literally nothing in 2012 to nowadays, you know, like, we're, we're, we're taking a, a million odd bookings a month. You know, and it's not just GP, it's dental, it's physio, it's specialist and so on. So, it, it's much broader as well. And by the way, we're also now integrated, so it's not long, no longer this you know this manual terrible process. We integrate into the most of the major you know practice management scheduling type of software um, at, at practices across the board. So you know, so it's just snowballed and made it easier, right? So you take a lot of the friction out of the system, you will get more more numbers. But back then, yeah, the model was pretty much a still a look. You know, if you want to show up on the directory, then it's a monthly fee. 
But now we have the ability to say, well, look, you know, on a risk-free basis, if we actually deliver you a new patient, not a existing patient, which, you know, and, and 90% of the bookings were with existing patients coming to, you know, to the existing practice. And so from a marketing perspective, it didn't feel right for us to be charging for that. So we basically, um, you know, sort of just left it, you know, left it at, if we're giving you a new patient, just for a one-time off lead generation, if you like, type of fee, we will charge you a fixed fee for that patient. And, um, and then, you know, if you look after them, the lifetime value is very high. You should be able to, you know, like, um, like in most marketing things, work out a decent ROI on the spend. But, you know, at least, patient, at least practices would know that look, they wouldn't get charged unless they actually got some value, which is the risk sharing at an early stage of any business. I think be able to risk share and, you know, be able to help customers understand that, look, you know, they're taking a risk on us, so that's fine. We'll share the risk with them. That was actually a really acceptable way of going about things. Fast forward a couple of years and Health Agent successfully pivoted from a basic directory website to an online booking business. And the rapid growth of the business started to attract the attention of some of the biggest players in Australia. Seven West Media and Telstra would end up investing more than $10 million into the business, a huge sum for an Australian startup. And a few years later, as the business continued to grow, Marcus and Adam got a huge windfall, an investment from one of the most respected names in venture capital from across the world, Sequoia Capital. Sequoia was one of the earliest venture capital firms based in Silicon Valley and has backed some of the world's most transformative companies. Think Apple, Google, PayPal, LinkedIn, YouTube, and Stripe. The VC giant invested almost $25 million into Health Engine, giving it a reported valuation of more than $100 million. This is one of the largest ever funding rounds for an early stage Australian business. But just when everything looked like it was going perfectly, Health Engine's honeymoon came to an end. You close your Sequoia round, the most, one of the most successful rounds of an Australian business ever. You've got tens of millions of dollars in the bank. You've got a business that's growing super fast uh, and everything's going certainly from the outside going perfectly one of the most popular websites in the country clearly the leading medical booking site in the country and then sort of out of the blue a few things started probably the first time not going so well and i think back in 2018 you had you had a data breach of some sort on the site where where data was exposed a limited amount of data was exposed what what um how did you guys deal with with that yeah, um, look, it was it was um, yeah, that, that you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, you know, things were going incredibly well, and you know, I talk about it as a sort of startup roller coaster because you know, like um, things can go really, really well, but um, like most things in business, and you know, uh, most people who have been in business will recognise that um, everything happens in cycles. You know, so things will go up, but almost invariably, at some point, things will go down as well, um, and you know, nothing ever goes up forever. Um, and, and that's certainly true of us as well. I, I remember what happened was that, you know, the, the same week, you know, I was at an award ceremony accepting the award for, you know, being the West Australian Technology Company of the Year was the same week that we were in press, you know, national press, you know, with a headline that, um, you know, was very negative, effectively saying that we had tampered with, you know, and doctored all of our um, uh, ratings and reviews on our website. Uh, and being a marketplace where you're wanting to be trusted and, you know, obviously um, having... Uh, um, you know, people accuse you of like, you know, doing some, um, some terrible, you know, um, unethical things like, you know, um, you know, that was, uh, that was obviously very troubling. Um, and, and that came completely out of the blue because, you know, obviously in, 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 in our heads, we're thinking where did this come from and, you know, what, what has gone wrong? Because, you know, obviously in our, in our hearts, we knew that, you know, nothing of the sort was actually happening, but, uh, we had to kind of investigate as to what was the reasons for the issues. And it wasn't so much a data breaches that, you know, a few, a few things that actually happened that was a little bit, that, that could have been implemented better in our systems. Um, so it wasn't so much a data breach as 
moderation of some of our reviews hadn't gone according to our guidelines, our own internal guidelines. And so it affected something, you know, like, um, uh, you know, a few thousand of our reviews, um, which made up about 3% of the total base. And because it was so small in totality, we didn't really pick it up. And so some of the internal operating type of things were actually the problem. Like we'd just um, moved so quickly and grown so quickly, our systems and processes didn't pick up some of these issues. You know, these are the sorts of, you know, things that, you know, as we were slowly investigating, we started to realize that, you know, some of our operational processes weren't keeping up or keeping pace with our, you know, our growth. And so we really had to go and fix some of this sort of stuff. But, you know, it's a bit of a slap in the face when things are going really well to all of a sudden, you know, find yourself in the front page of the newspaper being accused of terrible, heinous things. And, you know, and obviously, you know, at that point, that's when, you know, it starts to draw the interest of things like uh, regulators and that sort of thing. And, you know, like it just is a huge distraction for the business. And, you know, of course, then the media starts to take more interest and it starts to snowball into quite a bit of a crisis. And never having dealt with a you know, situation like that before, um, you know, that was, it was a very stressful time, I have to say. As a, as a doctor, someone who's, who's spent your life helping people, uh, suddenly you're, you're being accused of things that, that, uh, that you guys certainly didn't think were accurate. Uh, did, that, did that make it even harder? Oh, look, of course it is. I mean, you know, like, I mean, my, you know, my, my background is one where, particularly as a medical professional, like, you know, you, you're sort of, you're there to build trust. I mean, that's, you know, the, and, and anytime, you know, your, your integrity is being called into question, that, that's never a good thing. I mean, it, you know, it doesn't matter whether it's right or wrong. I mean, at some point, if, if enough mud is thrown, like, you know, some of it sticks and people, you know, it's a, it, it creates a credibility issue. And I think that, you know, that's never a good thing. And, and of course, as a startup founder, it's your face on the front page of the newspaper, right? Like it's not the company as such. It's, you know, and, and so, you know, it's very hard to not take it personally. And I think for me, when things had been going so well, like, you know, and this coming out of the blue, it, it, it was real kick in the guts. I mean, you know, I, I, you know, I, won't, I won't lie. It was, it was a really difficult period because these things are also involving legal matters and stuff like that. There's only so much you can say. And you don't know, want to sort of, you know, misrepresent stuff and, you know, and so on. But at some point you sort of feel like, yeah, you, you feel very lonely because there's only so many, you know, um, you know there's only so many things you, you can do to try and stop what other people are saying, even if it's not true. And, and I think that, you know, um, yeah, it, it was a very, it was a steep learning curve on, you know, on controlling emotions and, you know, and, and, uh, and f- focusing on things that you can fix and can impact. Um, and so that's what we did. We just basically turned our entire attention to, if we've gotten things wrong, let's fix it. Um, we're trying to innovate. We're trying to do the right thing. And we're obviously trying to, you know, we weren't even trying to push the boundaries as such. We thought we were trying to do the right thing. We consulted and so on. And, you know, we were out in press talking about a lot of the, the programs that we put in place. Um, so it wasn't like we were hiding anything. Nothing was secret. But at some point, like, you know, we had an issue that we were unaware of. And, you know, when we were made aware of it, we fixed it. But we had no feedback otherwise to actually do that. And like most companies, generally, you know, I think you'll find that whilst people make mistakes, they don't do it, you know, sort of for malicious reasons. And once you actually find out that you've made a mistake, you fix it, right? So, you know, and that's basically what we did. We went into sort of the mode of, look, you know, whatever we found out that is wrong, we'll fix. And, um, you know, we will, um, you know, we'll, we'll do our very best to make sure it doesn't happen again. You know, what else can you do, right? And, uh, and it takes time. So, so, yeah, no, it, it was a very difficult uh, period for sure. So do you think that the, when the, this is all, I think, like, certainly from a customer perspective, in many senses being forgotten about, has, do you think the business is now a stronger business almost two years down the track or, or did the business suffer to an extent based on the media reports that, that, that were, as you said, incredibly critical and in many cases unfairly so? Oh, yeah. Look, you know, I mean, you, you remember that, like, you know, whilst our business was has grown, we can't just say, look, you know, we're, we're a small business and, and um, 
you have to have all the processes in place. And that's why I think it's really disappointing that those processes weren't in place. But by the same token, when we actually started this whole process, like, you know, when we actually created these programs, thinking that we'd innovated and we're doing something quite useful by helping patients identify where the good practices were, the idea of that was actually the right idea in terms of trying to help patients, um, you know, find better healthcare. The implementation wasn't very good, but at the time that we actually had started this process, we were only about 30 people. So we we weren't actually a very big business at all. We were hardly making any money. It was pretty unsophisticated. And that's not an excuse. It was just the fact that, you know, like, you know, when you're growing quickly, you have got a bit of an unsophisticated team and uh, you think you're doing the right thing. It's very easy when you're growing really, really quickly to, you know, have things, um, you know, sort of get a little bit out of control. So, so yeah, lots of lessons were learned. And, um, you know, we, uh, we certainly are better for the, the whole process um, because, you know, you don't know what you don't know. And up until the, you, you kind of bring that up, that you can't fix it. And we fixed a lot of things. The operational stuff, it's way, way tighter now. You know, and in healthcare, you know, because it's such a highly regulated business and, you know, it impacts people's lives and so on, you know, this whole Silicon Valley mantra of like, you know, move fast and break things, you really just can't afford to do it. You've got to move fast, but you just can't break very many things. And I think that that's the, you know, that's the, a key learning for us is that you've got to really be very careful about balancing those aspects of the business up, particularly in healthcare where it's so sensitive you know, data is very sensitive and, you know, who gets access to it's very important to make sure it's secure and all that sort of stuff. But sure, it adds another layer of, of, uh, of complexity and tax, if you like, but it's, it's really important if you want to safeguard your users. Definitely the business is better off. Uh, it sounds like you never went into business with the aim of making billions of dollars. So it's in many ways almost a, a semi-philanthropic venture. You, you wanted to help patients and doctors connect but now you've, you've got a business that's, that's been worth more than $100 million, one of the most successful startups ever in Australia. Uh, do you have an end game? What, what's, what's, the, what's the goal for, for Marcus Tan to, to finish th- this journey? Yeah, um, it's a good question because, you know, I think my journey's never been a very planned one. Uh, you know, I think it's probably fair to say, especially throughout this you know, particular um, uh, interview, that, you know, serendipity's played a big part of where I am now. Yeah, I know it sounds trite and, and maybe a bit cliched, but money is one of the lubricants of society. I think it's, it's a necessary thing. And, but, you know, coming from a family where we've, you know, we, we were a middle-class family, we didn't really have, you know, we, we weren't the billionaire that, um, you know, that um, my dad was working for. So there, there, you could see that there was a clear divide but it was never an aspiration to be a billionaire, right? So, you know, for us, it was more about making impact, adding value, solving problems. I mean, that was my, you know, my dad's an engineer. That's that's what he does. He solves problems. That's the, you know, and the mindset of that, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm an old chess player by background. So like, you know, I love solving problems and working through puzzles and stuff like that. That's the much more interesting thing for me. And so being in healthcare where you can actually solve the problems of healthcare, and there are lots of them, is actually my primary interest. Now, the fact that I happen to be in a business and also in a profession that supports me financially so that I can be comfortable and I'm not sort of, you know, having to worry too much about that is a, is a privilege. And I think that, um, you know, for me to be able to a- apply more resources and we've raised a lot of money and the fact that investors have tr- entrusted me and my and Adam, you know, my co-founder um, with as much, you know, we've raised about 50 million over the last six, seven years. That's a lot of money to be entrusted and, and, and you have to take that trust very seriously, even from a reputational thing, but just yes, in general, I, I take that sort of stuff very seriously. And if people are going to back you, whilst I may not be interested in a financial return, like in the same way that you know that you might think, those investors 
are. They're not philanthropic in the, in the sense that they're making a financial investment. They're not making a philanthropic one. And so, you know, you've got to kind of make sure that they do get the return and, and meet the promise of like when they invested in the company, they bought a certain product and they want to get the value from that product. So that's kind of a long story to say that, look, you know, I think I'm, my, my focus is to make sure that first and foremost, our customers get value and our users get value. And I think that's really important. But in translating that into value for our investors, that's the next step. And whether that's a, you know, a, a liquidity event for them, um, you know, in a, in, the, in a form of a, you know, a public listing or a trade sale or whatever, you know, the usual sort of things, um, I think that's still something that's, that's um, needing to play out and we need to sort of uh, think about that. I mean, we'll probably also be looking for more investment. So that's, that's the other thing. But me personally, I'm actually really, really happy with, um, you know, with um, what we've been able to achieve. Um, I think there's so much more that I can do. And so, you know, like um, I'll probably for many years yet to come still be involved in tech startups in some way, shape or form, particularly in the healthcare sector. Um, and, um, you know, would, would love to be, um, you know, still investing and, and, and supporting them either directly or indirectly. That, that's my, my aim. Health Engine might be used by millions of people every single month and valued at more than $100 million. But if you live in Perth, you can still see Marcus as your regular GP. He still works a few days a week in his original medical practice. And that was Marcus Tan, founder and CEO of Health Engine. And you've been listening to From Zero with me, Adam Schwab. Our producer is Lindsay Green. Audio producer, Darcy Thompson. For more episodes, search From Zero Podcast with me, Adam Schwab. Listener.